Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. Welcome to the Tourpreneur Podcast. Travel industry veteran Shane Whaley will take you on a journey with fellow tourpreneurs, sharing their tips, ideas, insights, and success stories to inspire you to make your tour business the best it can be. And now, here is your host, Shane Whaley. And welcome to Tourpreneur episode 155. We welcome back our tourism marketing expert, Doreen Wharton of Travel Life Media to talk all about blogging for tour operators. How are you, Doreen? I'm great. Glad to be back. Absolutely. So this is actually part four. We're ripping through these. I know. Part four. I'm glad people are getting a lot of use out of the tips that we're, we're talking about. Absolutely. It's it's interesting because this whole blogging for tour operators is about generating content, creating content and measuring the ROI on that because nobody wants to be writing blog posts if they're not gaining traction or being read or referenced or whatever it may be. And I'm always looking at our download figures for all the episodes we produce because that guides me in terms of what our listeners want to listen to. And these are always very, very popular. Awesome. So what are we tackling today? Well, we're actually going to talk about writing finally. Yeah. The first three were, we talked about goals. We talked about what you should blog about and how to repurpose. Now we're going to get into how do you actually write this thing and write it easily and write it well. Brilliant. So you're going to share some uh, some secret sauce with us here. So yeah. I guess getting started, right? The toughest thing is you're looking at a document with a blinking cursor or like here, I've got a yellow legal pad and you're looking at a blank page. What do we do, first of all, to get started? Start with an outline. Absolutely. Because this is going to save you a huge amount of time. And when I say outline, this doesn't have to be a scary thing, because I literally had a conversation with some people yesterday about, oh, but I don't want to start a blog with an outline, because I like to free flow, think of ideas, and then write as I go. What I mean by an outline is call it your bullet list. Call it your brainstorm list, whatever it is, but start just writing down the things that are the key ideas or the main points that you want to get across. Because that's that's the idea, right? You want to get main things across, and then the the words around that are going to explain it. But like, what's your point? What do you really want to say to people? So start there. Start with a bullet list. Free flow. Don't worry about grammar. Just start writing. Okay, what are the important things that I want to say? Oh, I like this nugget of a phrase or that nugget of a phrase, just start putting it down. And the other thing to do on that is once you do that, just start organizing it a bit, thinking about, okay, what are the, what are the lead topics? And those are going to become what we call your H2, H3, H4, like your subtitles. Once you get your main points down, just think about how you would separate this with sort of subtitles. Those will play into a sec. We'll talk about SEO, of course, um, throughout this, but 
those will play into that as you start writing. Absolutely. No, I, I think that makes sense because it, it's, it can be difficult when you've got that blank page. Um, and I think when you write all your ideas down, as you've said, and then, and I do this at Torpreneur, then I rearrange them in terms of what I think is a good flow for the reader. And something that I learned, and I'm sure you know about this, when I signed up for my uh, British um, National Council for Training of Journalism course, which I haven't finished yet, uh, if that makes listeners feel better, for all of you who've signed up for courses and haven't finished, I haven't finished that one. That um, happens, I do that too. Yeah, I want to finish it though, because I really enjoyed it, but other things got in the way. They had the inverted news pyramid, you know, where you kind of start with who, what, when, where, why. You might want to include questions or hooks, and that's also a good way to kind of, like, okay, and it is more to do with news reporting than maybe blogging, but I still think there are some good tips in there about writing that out. So Definitely. I mean, in my experience of writing, you know, the whole goal of writing is you want people to move on to the next paragraph. So you have to keep the interest all, you know, throughout. Yeah. And so who am I writing for? Obviously, you're going to think of, you're thinking like, who, who's that favorite guest that you had, the person that you want more of them, whether they delivered the best revenue for you or whether they really just like your type of tours. You're thinking of that as you write these things down. Yeah. Of course. The outline, too, is the time when you want to do keyword research. Oh, yes. Because this is where you want to naturally weave in primary and secondary keywords or phrases. I know not everyone's like, keywords, why one word? No, I'm talking about whether it's a word or a phrase. Start doing your research and writing those down, and then you can incorporate them in your writing as opposed to doing it later. Then, it does, then it's really unnatural the way that it's written. Yeah, absolutely. Keywords. I mean, I find it really frustrating, if I'm honest with you, Doreen, because I just want to write an, an, an interesting educational or entertaining piece of text. But in this day and age, 20, 30 years ago, you could, but then it was going into a newspaper or a magazine or a leaflet. Now it's like you have to include keywords. And I find it frustrating. Yeah. I mean, but, but it doesn't, Let's take an example. If you're writing about a, a particular experience in your city, yeah, chances are the key words and phrases are questions that people are asking, which would make sense to put in as a subtitle and to answer them. You know, so if you're writing about a museum, chances are someone's going to say, you know, what are the best things to see in this museum? That could be something that they're searching for on Google. Chances are they're saying something about what are the opening times for this museum, which you would include in a post. So depending on what what is coming up in search, it doesn't have to feel uncomfortable, but it really depends on the type of writing. Like if you're writing about your, you know, something that's really passionate for you, chances are you're not you're going to be less focused on keywords. Yeah, that's your, you know, because it's something that's really important to you. But it's always good to it's I always say like. Look what people are searching for and then decide whether it's going to fit or not. I agree. Don't feel like you have to force it in. Yeah. And I, I take the view, it, keywords should be the seasoning on your piece rather than the main dish. Because ultimately, I always feel that you want to write for the reader. And I think Google does reward you if you write for the reader than, rather than writing for the bots. But you do need those keywords. So I would say, you know, season it with keywords rather than stuff it with keywords, which is... Uh, an easy thing to do. Well, and don't pick one. This is the one thing that's very different for blogs than versus your tour pages is you can really rank for secondary words. 
you can rank very well for secondary words. I've seen blog posts that have been done where that page is, is, is ranking for 30 to 40 different words or more. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the one benefit you get. So, so again, like don't feel that you're, it's handcuffing you because it isn't necessarily handcuffing you look at the keywords and then decide what the right ones are. Absolutely. And I guess the other important aspect of copywriting is knowing who you're writing for. And by that, I mean, if I'm writing a guide to London for a millennial, it's going to be very different from the guide I will write for a family. Yeah, it's going to have different things to do, different interests, definitely. Different language even. Yeah, different language. And I think that's something that we need to think about when writing. Is it, okay, am I writing a general piece for everybody or am I aiming for a particular particular audience then? Because I think it's just, you know, you, you can't forget who you're writing for. It's the same, same you know, I, I keep referencing tourpreneur, but I know what I'm writing. I'm writing for tour operators of all sizes. It could be the CEO of TripAdvisor reading that piece, or it could be my local bike tour. And that means that, you know, I have to make sure I don't use too much jargon, too much kind of industry knowledge. I have to be clear and concise because I am primarily writing for tour operators. Yeah. And, and you're really in a really fortunate position because many tour operators are saying, okay, but I have families that are coming. I have couples that are coming. I have, you know, young kids that are coming to this one. That's what makes it difficult, but really think about what's, what's your priority. Yeah. What is the priority of the the types of tours that you want to promote, the type of people you want to promote? And if if it's maybe you do one for families and then you do a blog post for couples. Absolutely. That's probably that's the best way to go because then you're talking to one reader, which is a a really a quintessential thing in writing. You really need to talk to one person. Otherwise, you're you're really not relevant to anyone if you try to appeal to everybody. I completely agree with you on that. The other important thing I feel with copywriting, and I actually struggle with this a great deal, even with podcast episodes, and that's coming up with a compelling title. Because you and I are going to talk for 30 minutes. We, we could have 10, 20, 30 different titles for this episode. And it's often the same with a blog post as well. What tips do you have around writing a title? So with writing titles, 60% of readers don't read beyond the title. So it's really important. You need it to be attention grabbing. You need it to relate to the topic instead of being clickbaity. And the other thing too is you want it to be about 60 characters long. So a title that's way too long, first of all, from a, from a search engine optimization standpoint, it'll, it'll fall off the, the page. So when you're looking at, at Google, you're not going to see the entire length of the title. And you have to take into account that your business name comes after it. So in terms of maximum length, you want it to be around 60 characters or less. And there's this stat out there, I think it was through HubSpot, that actually said that the most shareable titles are between 8, eight to 14 words, which I thought was rather interesting. But again, it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, you could come up with a really compelling title that's you know, five words, and it's, it's really helpful, but it, that might be a guideline to start with, to know that, okay, is this going to be too long or not? Yeah. And I also say that the best, the best tool we have is Google in that if I'm going to write an article on what to do in Berlin, let's, so I type that into Google and what comes up headline wise is 
17 best things to do in Berlin. I don't know why they've picked 17, but there we go. Then the 15 best things to do in Berlin with photos. 50 awesome things to do in Berlin. So it looks like awesome things to do is kind of right up there. The best things to do. That is one of the formulas out there. So there's there's a few formulas that work really well for headlines. There's a lot of them, but one in particular is using numbers in a headline. The reason why that works is people like lists. They want to know that there's lots of things to do somewhere. And the reason why they pick 17 or whatever that, did you say that, that there was one that you saw for Berlin that was 17? They probably did it because they looked at what other competitors wrote and someone probably had 15 best things to do. They put 17. So they one up them. Yeah. That's probably why that number is, and, and an uneven number sometimes is, see, that kind of catches you off guard and you're thinking, mm-hmm. hey. I want to read that. So numbers work really well. The other one are formulas that answer a question like how to, what to, in our in our industry, where to find something tends to be a decent formula to start with on, on a, like where, or something like, you know, where to find the best zip lining in this city or in this area. You could start with a story title as well. So you know, what happened when travelers discovered this particular thing or that time when this happened? Those those can be pretty yeah. decent formulas as well. I like that. I mean, the list things are good, especially if you're in that, in that mode of we're going to a city, what can we do there or what are the best museums? But then also I like a quirky title, something like the one museum you must visit if, you know, on your visit to Berlin or, or something that's like more intriguing than here's the 15 or, you know, the one Berlin museum that will blow your mind or something like yeah. that or one tour or. It's a really strong power word that you've used, like must do this or you have to do this. Now, sometimes that throws people off, yeah. but a lot of people will click and see what is it that I must do? People are nosy, <laughs> you know. I am so lucky. You you have years of marketing experience on me, but the one thing I have is the daily briefs. Every day I go in and I look at who's clicked on what. And there are some days where there are certain posts that absolutely crush it with clicks. And it's fascinating to see what the the title is or what I asked myself, well, why, why did this do so well? Unless it was something really major newsworthy. And a good example was a recent one where her dad had built a Disneyland ride in his garage for his kids. And all I wrote was something like, uh, Tourpreneur doesn't give out cool dad of the year awards, but if we did, we'd give it to this guy. That's all I wrote. (laughs) Just so many clicks for that above all the other major industry news that's going on right now because of that intrigue factor. And yeah, and I was playing around a bit because I thought it was a cool story and it was a little less serious than most of the news that's in there. But just weaving in that intrigue as well, I think can help. You're doing something different. Yeah, it absolutely. By the way, there are a few good headline analyzers that are out there. CoSchedule, which is one of the social media managers, they have one. Um, I'll, I'll, we can put links obviously yeah, in the show notes. Be great. That one is really good because, but you have to, you just have to sign up for their newsletter, and you can evaluate. You can just cut and paste in your headline, and they'll evaluate it for you. Wow. And there's a few other free ones that aren't as good, but. At least it gives you an idea of saying, hey, is this like, am I on the right track? Now, of course, you'll start to look at the number and say, why am I only getting a 54 rating for this headline, but I can get a, you know, 65 for this one? You know, you got to take these things a bit with a grain of salt, but they're a good guideline to show 
that you've used like expressive words or power words like new or easy or you must try this or favorite, best. Those are power words that do tend to work, even though it seems like why is no one original with their headlines anymore? It's because there are some formulas that work yeah. well. And maybe it's a case that, I mean, I think title writing, we spend quite a bit of time on this because I actually think, as you said, without that, you don't have the foundations. Like people are not going to read the rest of your article if they don't like the title or if they're not intrigued or interested. And at newspapers, you know, when you see newspaper headlines, that is generally written by a sub-editor rather than the journalist. They have teams of people. You see these really clever headlines, in, especially the British tabloids. That is someone's job to write those titles. That they're, 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 you know, absolute word ninjas. So this yeah. is an art. It's not easy. But I think the, the, the whole process of writing a blog post is a bit, we've said this before, it is a bit like going to the gym. When you go to a gym and you have a new strength regimen, it's really hard at first and it's hard to get motivated for it and you struggle. But the more you do it, the easier it becomes and you start to have fun with it. You start tweaking your workout and adding more weights. And, and I think that's what happens with blogging. But it's one of those things that you can't just expect to be a wordsmith from the very first blog. You've got to dive in and experiment and experiment with different titles as well. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into future episodes about SEO and we'll talk about, you know, there are cases where it makes sense to change your title. You know, if you've got a, a blog that's performing really well and, you know, hey, how do I take it to the next level? There is a, you know, there are opportunities you can do that. And we'll talk about that, of course, during SEO. But yeah, it's, it's it has a huge bearing. It, it's really unfortunate, right? You spend all this time writing and then the headline has such a, has such a weight against whether it performs or not. Yeah, I agree. And I, I also think it's good to see what your competitors are blogging about, if they're blogging, that is, and then ask yourself, okay, what spin can I put on that that's relevant to my brand? So, I mean, not, not I'm, I'm not saying copy them, but say, okay, well, I would write that differently because on my tour, we do ABC. The Google is such, the search engines, we're so lucky to have them in that we can learn from what others are doing. Or the other tip is, if you're running a walking tour in Berlin, you know, look for walking tours in Paris or Madrid and Lisbon and see what kind of blog content they're putting out, especially if any blogs are coming up in the search end result. What title did they use that maybe no one's using right. for your city, right? Yeah, we have so much good research at our disposal. I'm, I'm king Definitely. of the shortcuts, me, Doreen. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I believe that too. Like even you really need look at what's out there. Start there. Yeah. And then how do I make it for me? Did you know every weekday Shane curates the most interesting news articles in tours and activities and sends them out in a snappy daily digest? Grab your copy of the Tourpreneur Daily Briefing at www.tourpreneur.com. So we move from the title then to the intro. What tips have you got on introductions? So... Introduction is also really important. You want to, the goal is to get people to read, continue reading the article, to keep on going. And so you want some sort of a hook. You want, uh, whether it is something like, you know, something with humor, something interesting, or a surprising fact, or ans asking a question, those things can be good ways to start, start an introduction. And if you get really stuck in the beginning to write the introduction, leave it to the end. Yeah, that's true. Don't, don't worry about having an introduction in the beginning. Do it after. 
it's it's much easier to do it that way. You know, it's so funny you mentioned that because before we came on air, we were talking about introductions and I, and I was sharing. So this is a bit of how the sausage is made. But usually when I record Torpreneur, I do the interview and the conversation and then I record the intro afterwards because something really interesting might have come in that conversation that, again, it's the getting people to consume the content, something that is of interest. And when I do my intros, so we're doing this live almost straight to tape, so whatever. But when I do my intro, sometimes it's, it's, sometimes I've done 25 takes because I'm not happy with the intro or I've stumbled or whatever. And I think it's the same with, with blogs, certainly with titles and intros as you Definitely. go back and then you're playing around with it because you know that's a critical piece of content. If that par- first paragraph isn't right, people are just not going to read anymore. And we know it. Ask yourself when you pick up a newspaper and you read a title and you read the first paragraph, you don't read anymore. Why not? It was because they didn't hold your interest. Yeah. And it could be two sentences. It doesn't even have to be long. Don't think it has to be a giant paragraph. It doesn't. Absolutely. And again, this is one of those examples of asking yourself when you read a blog or an article, it doesn't have to be necessarily in travel, but whatever your interest is, is why did you keep reading? Ask yourself, why did I keep reading the article? Oh, because in that intro, they asked a question or there was a statement or it was just something you have a personal interest in and they've referenced it. I think that there's so much learning from getting out of our bubble sometimes and, and looking at areas in our life outside of travel and how we can apply it to our businesses. Absolutely. Even just looking for your own travel. You know, sometimes we're just in the travel mode thinking yeah. about, I just got to get away. Yeah. How did they write that that even convinced you to click on that article? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So we move from the intro into the body the body of the blog, what tips do you have around that? So let's talk about point of view of the reader again, because, you know, who are we writing for? One of the biggest ahas that I had as a blogger is whether I should write from my own personal experience, because it, I, I used to do travel blogging. And of course, a lot of those experiences are your own. Yeah. So when you write that way, you're talking about, you know, it, how it feels to the reader is I did this, I did that, or we did this, we did that. That really goes against the what's in it for me, which is a normal consumer insight that we like to know what's in it for me. And in fact, um, if you're familiar with Matador, you're familiar with that publication. It's a travel publication Mm -hmm. for consumers. Yeah. They decide they can change their entire publication to be second person point of view, because they had a lot of personal stories as well. And they realized with all the comments that they got that consumers want to know what's in it for me. So they started writing to the position of you, like you're going to enjoy this. You will see this when you go here. I know we've talked a lot about that, but it really matters in blogging as well. Like paint a picture for people of what they're going to see. And Write it in a way that you're talking to a friend and it's like, you are really going to love this. And this is an incredible thing that you're going to see. I know it worries people like I'm putting you, I'm putting you too many times in my writing. Honestly, it works. (laughs) I'll just tell you that I've just seen too many pieces of research that shows that when you write from a, the second person point of view, you know, as though you're writing to a friend, it, it just comes across better because of that. What's in it for me? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I even make that mistake on the podcast, you know, like when I'm podcasting, I should, we should be talking to one person, not to masses. And yeah. it's the same with blogging. Think about that one person you're writing to rather than thousands of people. Yeah. I think it's okay to 
to when you kind of mention someone, you say, hey, friends or hey, tourpreneurs. Yes. I think that's okay. Yeah. But you, yeah, you're trying to help. You're writing in a way that you want them to understand that you're, you, you know where they're coming from. Absolutely. Yeah. No, and you know what they need. That's very good advice. So in the body uh, as well, you want it to be about 500 words minimum. And there's a reason for that because of the way that Google operates and how search engine operates that 500 words seems to be the, the best way to get searched like that, that it get indexed properly. They have a good, like the, the bots have a good, a sense of what this article is about. There are studies to say that a blog about 2,100 words somehow seems to be way better in terms of search engines, but please don't feel like you have to write a 2,100 word blog. The reason for that is because it does well in SEO is because of the number of secondary words that it, it can include and the depth of the questions that they're answering related to the topic. I don't think in travel blogging that is as important. I think it's when you're teaching someone to do something or how to, you know, how to do marketing, or I think that's when it becomes more important. But 500 words is a start. If it's any less than that, even even when you have a podcast, yeah, Shane, yeah, if you can write 500 words to explain the key points of what happened in the podcast, that is better than writing 200 words. Yeah, absolutely. It's fascinating because when I think about a 2100 word blogs as a consumer, as a reader, how many times I've chanced upon a blog, it's something I'm really interested in, and I see that wall of text, and I just think, okay, I'm going to favorite that. I'm going to come back to it with a cup of tea and read it. And how many times I don't go back to it because it's just like, oh, there's a lot of text. And I think there is, but let's say for instance, I am planning on spending $10,000 on a holiday. I don't want to read a 500 word blog post on that. I will read the 2100 words before I plonk down the 10 grand on the credit card. So I think that as well is, is matching it with your price point is it for me is also important. So Instead of worrying about how many words it is, focus on the content. Yeah. So what are the things that you're answering for people? It might be a, an article that's 800 words and that's fine, but don't let it be a wall of text to your point, because this is where the subheadings come in. Absolutely. They work at, they break up, they break up content, content really well. Your paragraph should only be three to four sentences max, because that just makes it so much easier to read. And of course, if you don't have pictures, it will be a wall of text. And it will be incredibly boring and hard to get to. And let's not forget that even though you're that kind of person, there are logical kind of de decision makers out there that will read that entire yeah. page. Yeah, There are people out there that do that. So even though you're writing for one person, those people are different decision makers. Some person is going to look at the first two paragraphs and like, yeah, I'm done. There's other people that are going to want to want more information and they're wanting, they want to be convinced. And it goes back to your point. I absolutely agree with you. And that's why I think if you're writing something, you can write an abridged version of it, but then also maybe write a fuller in-depth blog post on that topic. Obviously, different yeah. title and everything for, for different people who may require more information or they're really interested in meeting more, rather than someone like myself who tends to skim, get the basic information I need and think, oh, yeah, I definitely want to go on a tour with this person. They seem fun or they know what they're talking about, whatever it may be because I won't go through the 2000 word. Right. I mean, I think these are more, the long ones are good for instructional, Yeah. you know, like how to do SEO. You want to read the whole thing. Do you know the, the ones that really annoy me and I know why they're doing it is whenever I look for a recipe 
online, <laughs> right? How oh, to I'm, roast I'm chicken? Making... How to roast chicken in the oven? And they spend like a thousand words telling me like what oven they're using and the history of roasting chicken. And I know where they're doing it it's for the SEO. And I'm just scrolling down. Just tell me how long I need to put the chicken in the oven for. And then they have the ads. <laughs> oh, they yeah. have the ads, and then way at the bottom is the is the ingredients for the recipe, and then there's the instructions. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I, I get it. I know why they're doing it. And hey, I found their webpage. They got my eyeballs on their stuff. So, you know, it's working, but it's bloody frustrating. <laughs> and maybe someone really wants to know about the history of roasting chicken. That's right. There, there could be people out there that need to know that. And maybe that was a maybe that was a uh, a key phrase that yeah, they, yeah. they found. Yeah, yeah. No, no, absolutely. It worked. It got me on their page from the end user. But the thing is, I couldn't tell you what that website is and I didn't buy anything on it, but I roasted my chicken okay, so. This idea of the 500 words and the sub headlines and everything still applies whether it's a blog, whether it's an infographic, a video. Even with a video, if you're posting a video on your blog, still have 500 words. Yeah, yeah. To So people can know what it's about, et cetera. So that's a good tip. From everything that I've read and from other bloggers, 500 words is really the minimum that you should be thinking about. Yeah. Cool. So then we head on to the conclusion and call to action tips. What's your advice around conclusions? So it's good to obviously close it in some way, and it doesn't need to be lengthy. It's just, it's just recapping what it was about. And you might want to provide more resources or guidance for someone. The bigger thing is the call to action at the end. And I know we've on previous episodes, we've talked about a call to action. So this is that, you know, that click that's related to the post. What are you asking people to do next? So maybe you can guide them to read more reviews about a particular tour, contact us for questions. Some blogs will be the point where you do want to maybe sell on a particular tour. You know, you can say, you know, if you're interested in this, seeing this tour, we have a tour available and you can click to that. You could go as even as to putting a button to book yeah. at the very end of a blog, but use those sparingly. And, you know, when it really makes sense to do that, when it's really related to the, the topic, because you don't want every blog to feel like you're selling something. Yeah. And what's your strategy on that with links? So links to other websites, because obviously we know that's good Google practice, but if I'm writing a blog post on one of my tours, do I really want to have links that someone could click and then step away and then not come back to my blog post. How, how do you see that? So for SEO purposes, you want to have three internal links to your own website, whether it's to another blog or to another page. You also want to have the same for external links, right. like non-competitive links. From an SEO perspective, it, that works very, very well. And it really varies on the, you know, do people really go and click to that next thing? Or if they're truly interested in your article, they're going to stay on. So I I would worry about that less than that someone's going to go away, but we'll we'll get into that in SEO on a future future episode for sure. I'm jumping ahead, and also that that call to action is that something we should be thinking about before we even start writing? It's okay. We know who we're writing for. We know what the goal is. Therefore, the call to action is: I want people to book a tour or I want people to go to my YouTube channel or my TikTok or whatever. Is that something you think we should think about before we even start writing? That's something to do in the outline. Yep. That outline, like what would be the ideal path that someone would go to for this particular article? 
And it's okay if you don't know right away. Like we do this on our tour pages, right? Like on every single one of our pages, we have a call to action. Most of them are by, but some of them are other things. Like you might want someone to, to go to your contact us page. You might some want someone to read about what to bring before yeah. you go on the tour. Yeah. We're still doing those same things on our other pages. But yeah, you want to think about that as you're, as you're doing the outline. Because otherwise I think you can get, you can add too much in terms of action. So for instance, I've learned this with the podcast, the very early days of Torpreneur, I was promoting the daily brief, I was promoting the Facebook group, I was promoting the subscribe button. And really I decided that I'm just going to promote one thing rather than three different things. Cause I think that confuses people. Or you end up with people doing none of it. And that I think can happen with a blog post as well. If you don't decide before you put pen to paper, what I want the outcome of this blog post to be, you could end up putting too much in. There is a rule of thumb in copywriting, which is you're asking the person to do one thing and there's one offer. Ideally, if the, when there's less distractions, people will be more inclined to click on what's there. Yeah. If absolutely. you're giving asking them to do too many things, it, it makes it difficult to make a decision. Yeah. And I think that's the same over, you know, with, with e-commerce, isn't it? There's that saying, don't make me think. If you see it, the same tour, but 10 different variations of it, you might end up getting flummoxed and saying, well, I'm coming back later on. I, I can't deal with this right now. Uh, and end up maybe booking with a competitor. I know I've done that in the past. I am like that with hotel rooms. Right. I cannot decide. It drives my husband crazy because uh. I, it, it takes me hours to book a hotel. It's like, but they have that, but not, yeah. And, it, and if something's similar, oh. Yeah, 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 I know. It's crazy. So the simpler, the better. You're right. As we wrap up on the copywriting side of things, of course, we could talk for hours and hours and hours on copywriting. It's such a fascinating topic, and we'll probably revisit it in the future because there's so many tips and tricks out there. Is there anything we haven't covered when it comes to copywriting for, for blog posts? Yeah, what I would say is once you finish writing it, just do a status check. Like do a call it what you want, whether it's your blog sweep, whatever. So think of a few things. So read it out loud that obviously you're going to find some stuff that just doesn't make sense. Use Grammarly. We, yes. we talk about Grammarly all the time because yes. it'll pick up. It'll pick up things that are like passive voice. Isn't, you know, how English is so direct. Yeah. It doesn't, it'll pick up that. It'll pick up those excess little words that aren't really adding thing to the, to the sentence. Yes. You want to sure you have lots of those subheadings. So it's easily broken down, making sure there's paragraph flow that like the ideas are flowing into each other and it makes sense. And then I would say, does it answer the two questions, which are what's in it for them and why should they care if yeah. they read this? Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, I would add one more thing to that. Have, yeah, please. Ha have fun. Like this is not submitting yeah. an essay to be graded at school. Yes. We want it to be superb and we want to get tons of business out of it, but it's, I find with writing, same as anything in life, you know, it takes practice and you learn as you go along and looking at your results, you might see one blog post you've written that's absolutely crushed it in SEO or getting inquiries. Well, what was it about that blog post that, and it's quite funny and it's quite frustrating that very often you put a piece, you spend hours and hours and hours on a piece of content and nothing. And then you whack something up in 30 minutes and it crushes it. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you have no idea why. I know it's, it's frustrating, but we're lucky we have this feedback loop because in the old days you'd put an advert in a newspaper, you'd have to wait for the phone to ring or heaven forbid yeah. a letter with an order form to arrive. I mean, at least now we know pretty quickly if something is resonating or not. The other thing I would say is don't expect a blog post to, to actually grow your traffic. Um, the first months is out. It takes yeah. time. Agreed. It takes a lot. It can take a lot of time too. 
But, you know, patience is your virtue when it comes to blogging. And it's not directly related to copywriting, but also take a look at your uh, stats right now, your analytics, what content really resonated with your readers and how can you riff off that? So maybe there's something that you can capitalize on because it's already done well on the website. Right. Which we actually covered in the second. Part two. I need to go back and listen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, part two. We talked about what you should blog about. A lot of things were what's already working for your, for your blog. What's already, what are the topics that people are already reading? Yeah, absolutely. And for listeners who maybe this is their first uh, episode they listen to in this series, if you head to bloggingfortouroperators.com, you will find the links there. And also, of course, go to touroperator.com forward slash 155. And if you are looking for professional help, why not hire Doreen? Uh, Doreen, you offer services at travellifemedia.com, marketing for for tour organizations and businesses. And uh, as we're hearing on this episode, you're a bit of an expert on blogging. So if you don't want to be dealing with all of this and you want to outsource it or get some professional advice, Doreen is there to help you. Or have a question, I'm happy to answer it. Absolutely. Um, we really appreciate you sharing your wisdom in this series. You know, you're giving us some of your very valuable time. I know you're very busy with the business and helping other entrepreneurs. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you. Glad to be here. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Torpreneur podcast. Be sure to visit torpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Torpreneur.